White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 624. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. We are back. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. We are back with another third season episode. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andy Fix. Are you there, Andy? Van, I am here. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. I'm ex- so excited. I'm so excited about where we are in the show because yes. tonight we have one kind of eh, episode maybe to get through <laughs> and then and then and then. Man, does it start all coming together or coming apart depending on how you look at it, right? I, I think the proper word for this this episode would be kaboom. Yeah. In fact, you and I have briefly spoken about this this past week and decided that, and this is a pretty momentous decision because we haven't made a change like this since um, early in season one, I believe. Right. But which we was are just which was just over a year ago that we started. Wow, this, by the way. that's amazing. That's amazing. It's in some ways it seems like it's been a couple of weeks. In some ways it seems like we've been doing this for years. You know, <laughs> right? And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean like it just feels comfortable. <laughs> like we've you know, God, I feel like I've been doing this for years. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mean that. I mean it last like night. It, last night was my tenth wedding anniversary with my wife, and she made a similar comment. It feels like we've been doing this for years. <laughs> You're like, I'm out. Adios. <laughs> Oh, man. But no, it feels comfortable. I, I, I always have a good time talking with you, and I think our listeners enjoy it, too, and that's good. That's, I, that, I that's cert- Even if we had zero listeners, I would still do this every week with you because I love it. <laughs> you know, that's what's so great. I think it's the same reason that my football show is good is that John, always, my partner on there, John, always says, he always says, this is just a conversation we would be having anyway. If other people listen to it as well, that's just a bonus, right? And that's kind of what right. you and I are doing. Because it's from the heart. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. It's not worth doing if, if otherwise, yeah. Right. We're only going to do, starting with the next two episodes, well, just for the next two episodes, we're only going to do one episode. Because I think that Point of No Return and Severed Dreams, certainly Severed Dreams, I, I don't want to do a three-hour episode, and I know that we could with those two. Right. So we'll do one each. I think that'll just stretch it out. Even, stretches the fun out even more. Right. And... and- this is the point in the, the series where, where things go from being portentous to momentous. To quote Jakar, oh, <laughs> that was a good way of putting it. I was impressed with that. That was good. I think this won't be the last time. We're only going to do Point of No Return, Severed Dreams, and I think then we'll probably go back to the two per. But by the end of this season, I think we're going to be back to doing one. Right. And I think that may way, that may stretch a little ways into season four, if you know what I Absolutely. mean. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so so it's going to drag things out a little bit longer, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Absolutely. All right, very good, very good. So 
Do you have any announcements, anything that folks need to know about this week? I don't think that I do. I don't. I, I have nothing overly exciting to announce outside mm. of the, the, the cat will not be down here tonight. So. <laughs> to hit the self-destruct button. Right. <laughs> that was awesome. That was so funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think we do either, so I think we can go ahead and get into the shows. We do have at least one comment from the patrons to mention in the midpoint, and I'll be thanking folks. And I will go ahead and, re- and refer folks now. If you do like this show and this series that Andy and I do, then uh, if you go to if you go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, there's a big button there that says become a patron, and you can click on it to um, join in the fun and join the family. And I thank all of our patrons in the midpoint of our show. Ooh, we'll have to find a point in the one, one episode show to, to thank folks because it'll there won't be a middle. Right. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. We'll, we'll find a breaking point. We will find a breaking point. Honestly, those two episodes may bring us to the breaking point. Um, <laughs> man. Uh, and as always, Andy and I like to point out, we try not to do spoilers. Occasionally something sneaks through, I'm sure, but we try not to do spoilers uh, beyond the point we're at, and we have a spoiler section at the end after we go through the jump gate that you'll you know that if you haven't watched beyond that, just tune out there, come back later. All right. So first up is episode 307, Exogenesis. And man, I don't know what to do with this episode. We have to talk a little bit. As I always ask, do you want to receive or defer to the second half? I, I will definitely receive this one. I will go with the, the description here. Go for it. So in Exogenesis, um, Dr. Franklin runs across a mysterious parasite and begins his investigation into that. At the same time, Marcus... Uh, some of his contacts and friends go missing in down below, and he begins to investigate that. Mm-hmm. And both investigations combine and, and, and come together, so they have to work together to figure out the issues. Yes, yes, yes. All right, well, the usual gobbledygook. This is production number 307, so we're back on the regular numbering. So the production and the airing number are both 307. Originally aired February 12, 1996. Written, of course, by JMS. I'm going to keep saying that for a long time. Directed by Kevin Crimmin. And he has popped... I I feel like if he hasn't popped up before, he does pop up maybe again. This can't be the only one he does. But I don't know much about him. I didn't do any research on him. But I know that he he, he does more than one, I think. Notable guest stars this episode. Joshua Cox as Corwin. But he's really getting as close to a regular cast member as you can get without being in the opening right. credits. Oh, you know? th- this was his, his big coming out party, too. I mean, this it was, was. this was a, a great episode for him. I loved it. This was the Corwin <laughs> episode, yeah. Right. Uh, Aubrey Morris as Duncan and James Warwick as Matthew Duffin. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, um, do you have any factoids and notes you want to throw out there about... Exogenesis. The only factoid I have is that this takes place on March 10th, which is my birthday. Oh, yeah, there you go. I thought that was fun. Very nice. Oh, also, and you you may touch on this one, but uh, JMS stopped writing this episode halfway through to deal with uh, an onset labor issue that took Mm. five days to resolve and then got back to writing it after that five-day off period and completely forgot where he's going with the story and was dissatisfied with, with what he did come up with. You know what's interesting about that is that all the revelations about what the creatures are come in the second half. Do you think he was intending originally for them to be 
good, so so to speak, and or I I don't know because going the route that it was going seems so cliche. And, exactly. And Star Trek Star Trek had done that just a few years before, and and I don't think he would have gone that route. And and the way it did turn up was very a, a very Babylon Five twist. Yes. So I I I don't know. I don't I I don't know where. Uh, he doesn't even know where he was originally going with it, so he may have ended up in the same place. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like it may have been he just had a different direction he was going to get there, but he probably was going to get to kind of the same resolution right. one way or the other. Right. He, I noticed that he, you're right. He did say that he thought the first half was stronger than the second half of it, whereas, honestly, I have a hard time staying focused on this episode. I get kind of bored watching this episode. So And and I would disagree with him. I think that the second half was stronger than the first half. Interesting. The, the second half seemed very much more Babylon 5 than the first half did. Interesting. Interesting. Well, my I have a couple of my notes and then uh, I have some JMS quotes as usual that are interesting, I thought. Um, I just noted at the end that the whole point of this episode is a fake out. Right, it tries to make you think what it always is, which is that the aliens are evil parasites because they're always it's what we've been conditioned in sci fi to expect. The only people that didn't think these well, you know, I started to say the only people that didn't think these things were gonna be evil parasites controlling their host, uh, would be people that don't watch any science fiction. But people that don't watch any science fiction would be so horrified by them that they would think they were evil parasites trying to control right. their host. So right. They they didn't appear very sympathetic at the, no. the very beginning. My my wife watched the first five minutes of it and then said, "Ooh, this is gross," and got up and left. So yeah, can't blame her. Can't blame her at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean it's it's been done so many times, and you know, there's in fact there's a wonderful graphic novel series from uh, Christopher Moeller. The he's a painter, probably best known for doing a lot of Magic the Gathering cards, but he's also a great writer, and he's written this series called um, Iron Empires. And it's, there's several miniseries set in that universe. It's kind of like Dune, but more militaristic, and uh, more militaristic than Dune, believe it or not. And because uh, it's about it's about like you know a bunch of warriors in this, and and in and just really quickly because this is how it ties in. It's a very militaristic society with like warrior priests. It's like a very religious and very militaristic multi-planet empire. And they're yep. being slowly invaded over centuries by these parasitic aliens that attach to your spinal cord. But here's the cool twist on it. They are not sentient by themselves. It require, They take over humans, and then those humans that are being controlled by them, then they go out and capture other humans and implant the parasite, which right. then makes the thing. And it's like... When they're together, they're a malevolent being, but it really kind of raises the question: Who exactly is the bad guy here? The aliens or the the humans right. that are you know? And it's <laughs> where, a, where, do, where does the malevolence come from? From the I know. parasite part or the, from the human part? It's such a I can't recommend it highly enough to folks. It's called Iron Empires. There was a there was a one series called Faith Conquers, and one is called Shiva's War. And there's another one that just came out, and I can't think what it's called. But anyway, they're DC and um, not Vertigo, but and. Um, Whatever their sci-fi imprint for a while was. Anyway, so that's kind of what this feels like. My other note is, in some ways, this feels like a season one episode, but in some ways, it feels like a crusade episode, I thought. Ooh, that's an interesting take. I And, and not to give away too much, it's just that on crusade, you got a lot of these like mysterious alien cultures and, and beings that you'd never encountered before. Right? Babylon 5 tends to have the 
aliens and other stuff that's already known for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 the United Nations. You don't get a lot of strange, bizarre things there, other than the Vendrizi. But Crusade is where you get the really strange, never before encountered by human stuff, and this kind of felt like Crusade a little bit. Right, Crusade does that to the point where they actually parried, parried, parodied themselves in one episode about that. Yeah. Yes, the, they did. Uh, the, the, well, yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Visitors from down the street was the one that yeah comes to mind. Yeah. All right. Couple yeah. of things. Couple things from JMS. Somebody asked him, "How is your mental image of the story arc holding up?" He says the overview still holds up pretty well. Toward the end of season two, I think I think things got a, just a tad too convoluted in places, so that's being cleared up a bit. The dry brush trimmed back. The red herrings cleared away. Because we've got to start focusing on the real story, not misdirections. Now, that was interesting because I don't remember it being too cluttered up at the end of season two. What am I forgetting? Does that ring a bell for you? There are a couple little things that... And we're still talking about exogenesis here, right? Yeah. Okay. There were a couple... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, a couple of loose ends... Yeah, that uh, you and I even mentioned that I know cle- we're, we're cleared up in the next episode we're going to talk about. I don't, I don't, we really remember him addressing them addressing much of anything to do with the overall arc in this one, except for the the deal with uh, Corwin. Yeah, I think it's just that, that they chose this opportunity to ask him about the overall gotcha. situation, okay. but I just don't yeah, remember. There were, there were a couple loose ends, like uh, the 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 doctor's evidence. Well, you know, whatever yes. happened to that. I remember we asked about that. And yes. that, that gets touched on in the next episode. It, it does, too. You're right. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, he says, that's probably the only the one thing I'd go back and revise, because in general, you can't just bring something up and walk away from it later. It's got to either fit or be reasonably logically explained away. So some time has to be spent on that now, but that's been done pretty effectively in this first batch of episodes. Okay. Um, He says, this is the last non-story arc episode for a long time and the last chance to catch your breath before the big fall. So that's an interesting line. Uh, He says, my personal evaluation of this episode is that it's okay. The second half, I think, isn't as strong as the first half. Halfway through right now. That's what you were talking about. Something came up that took him away. So you covered that. Um... Uh, okay, a lot about. Oh, oh, yeah. There's a there's a good um, good th- there's a good little bit here about Marcus to kind of finish up my notes. Somebody said something to him about he wrote that he that Marcus is pretty. Apparently, there's the, the question isn't here, but he's a, he's 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 saying something about Marcus. He says I'm finding I have the same problem with him I have with Londo, getting him to shut up once I wire him up and let him go. He's a lot of fun to write. He can do the physical action stuff very well. He can do comedy, more dramatic, emotional stuff, the whole range. I can take him places and do things with him that I can't in some ways the other characters in that he only has one responsibility, whereas the others have larger responsibilities to more people. And somebody said, why doesn't Marcus wear a link, the little communicator on the hand, right? And this is great. JMS says, okay, I just summoned up Marcus in my head. Here's what he said to that. All right, <laughs> because I won't wear the bloody thing. That's why. Bad enough, you've got those pages you wear in 1996. No privacy, no chance to get away. Always at somebody's beck and call. Why not just put a leash around your neck and get it over with? It'd be faster and a good deal more honest. 
I'm down in the bar trying to be inconspicuous, dangerous characters on all sides trying not to be noticed, and the link goes off and I'm dead. Or at minimum seriously thumped. No, absolutely not. You'll never get me to wear one of those. <laughs> and that's the best Marcus I could do off the cuff real fast. But that's that sounds like what he would say, doesn't it, I think? And, that that's absolutely what he would say, yeah. Yeah. And and, and he's right. And when Marcus Marcus hasn't been in a whole lot of episodes so far this season. But when he does show up, he just takes over. I mean, he he's got yeah. a screen he's got a screen presence that you just can't ignore. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And and he and he he does have a particular type of chemistry with several different characters. Notably, I think Franklin is the big one. They found out they figured out pretty quickly that they really kind of clicked in in real life as well as in the show. Right. And also Ivanova to a degree. They they. Here's the thing. I think that they that JMS wanted Marcus to have chemistry with Ivanova, and he does to a point. But his 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 but his chemistry with Franklin is just that's the best. I think. Right. It is. And and I read an interview with him where he touched on that. This was the first episode where they actually threw them together, and they had no idea what it was going to be like because they never really interacted much. Right. So they didn't know what kind of chemistry that they would have, and and. That what I forget the what is the actor's name for Marcus? Oh, uh, I can't oh, think I'm, of it off. The I'm, I'm blanking too, and I know it. I've met him. I've talked to him. Oh I yeah, I hung out with him for a whole weekend. Once, I'll, but, we'll, well, I'll go ahead. I'll, t- right. I'll I'll tell you in a second. Go ahead. He um, he he said, you know, t- the two of us should not have fit well together. Here I am, an emaciated little Englishman who would be blown <laughs> over by a stiff breeze, and and Richard Biggs is what do you call him? Uh, Beef hunk steak or something like that, <laughs> hunk, hunk hunkly beef stick or something like that. You know, he's 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 like six foot two, six foot three, and and he's built like a you know he's built and gets all the the models and everything. And there's no way we should have played well together, but but when we got on the set together, we just couldn't stop making each other laugh. They they really did. They, I think it's yeah. partly that they're such opposites as characters, but then they try to engage. I mean, I think that it's Jason Carter, by the way. Um, Jason Carter, that's right. I wanted to say Jason Alexander, but that would have been a whole different character. <laughs> and I want to say Jason Cole, but his name is Marcus Cole, so I knew that wasn't it. But yeah, Jason Carter. Right. But I love that. I think that part of it is that Franklin has no patience for people that he doesn't highly regard, but he still wants to engage with them. You know what I mean? He still wants to call them out. But when he right. calls out, when he calls out Marcus, Marcus just comes right back, and they just start bouncing off each other. Right. Franklin wants to be dismissive of Marcus at first, and then yeah. Marcus is having none of it, so Marcus is dismissive of him, and they're just like, oh, well this, well this, well this, well this, well this, you know? And it just is beautiful. It's beautiful. And seeing those two in action in real life at a bar with alcohol in their, in their veins, it yeah. was the same thing. I mean, oh, yeah. Jason w- would just needle him, and they would just go back and forth and bicker and laugh, and it was just hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. Um and we miss you, Stephen. Um, yes, we do. So, high point of this episode. Uh, for me, it was what we just talked about. It was the whole um, chemistry between Marcus and and uh, Doctor Franklin. I thought that was, I mean, from the very first scene when when he you know kind of uh, fibbed to him a little bit about getting you know getting his help, and then the oh, it was the scene when they were going into Duncan's quarters, and hmm. the and and. Uh, Franklin said, well, I can open it up and look inside, but I can't go in. And Marcus is like, okay, that's fine. And then Franklin <laughs> opens up the door, and Marcus marches like in. He goes, wait, I said I couldn't go in. He goes, well, you're not in here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so and, and every scene they had together after that was was equally as funny. I mean, just 
it, it, I could go on and on about how funny they were together. It was it was it was a lot of fun to watch. It was the highlight of the episode. Not that that's a really high bar. Yeah, that's true. I know. I agree. I kind of had the same thing. I also had a note that it was nice to have a, 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 a an episode with a with a fair amount of focus on Doctor Franklin that didn't involve stems and his addiction. Right. I mean, right. when that's all he is, it gets kind of boring. They needed to right. do something with him to remind us that we like him. Yeah, and he didn't put the moves on anybody. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, got away from his stereotypical things that he usually does, and that's good. That's good. That helps him. That's another way that Marcus helps him. I also had a note that I really loved when Marcus tricked the guy into looking at the pike and squeezing it. Yes. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was a good idea. That, that was, was a really funny. good idea. All right, so what's your low point for Exogenesis? Uh, low point for this one was an emotional low point, and it was Duncan's sacrifice. When he gave up the... Um, the uh, the parasite to mm. convince Marcus and, and uh, Franklin that you know yes what they were saying was legit I thought that was really uh, I, I at that point I, I had forgotten you know it had been so long since I watched this episode I thought that he w- would have died from that but even just giving up what he gave up he didn't he didn't really give up his life but giving up what he did give up I thought that was pretty uh, pretty sad that he had to do that but and, and that he did it so willingly yeah no that's that's true uh, my low point is that. This is one of those rare episodes where there's barely any B plot, and if, and 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 as you noted in your description, the the what there is of a B plot really is part of the A plot. Exactly. The, it's yeah. The, the whole thing with Corwin and and Ivanova is just supporting the 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 A plot. Yeah, yeah. And the thing about uh, Marcus looking for his missing friend or whatever ends up being the Vendrizzi as well. You know. Right. Yeah. So it's all kind of the same thing. Um, I mean, if you know, I guess the Corwin thing is the B plot, really, but it's really more of a C plot without a B plot. It's just kind of a, yeah, it's just a character thing. It, I mean, it's not. It's pretty flimsy, in other words, and it right. really doesn't. And the thing is, I mean, not to spoil too much, but it doesn't really go anywhere because for it to go somewhere, then what Corwin says and the the values he expresses here should have to come back up again. And if I recall correctly, again, not to spoil anything, but if I recall correctly, and we can talk about this in spoiler space, it doesn't really. It, there's a brief right. moment, but it's not... Yeah, I, I think this was entirely... That that whole uh, plot line was entirely to set up and to contribute to the relationship between Marcus and Ivanova. Uh, um, yeah. What's his name? Corwin was, was just a foil that, that was used to... to put those two at odds Poor and it was done it was done very well i, I actually like the c plot I, I thought the the actor for for corwin was hilarious yeah yeah oh yeah he was funny he's he's good i mean for sure um yeah. um this has to be i noted that this has to be one of the very few episodes where we don't see londo jacquard delin veer lanier any of them yeah this is like an all humans all the time episode right and it, it used very little sets. I mean, there was only two or three different sets that it really used. So it was it was almost like a canned episode. I mean, Sheridan barely was even in it, was he? Right. Yeah, he was in the beginning and then at the end. That's it. So, yeah, it's pretty much Ivanova, Marcus, Franklin, and Corwin. Yep. For the most part. Yeah, so. Um, all right. The Orenzento Ari Benzane Overacting Award. I, you know, I kind of have somebody I can nominate. What do you think? Really, I, I thought everybody did a really good job in this one. I, I thought there was potential for the, the, the down-below guys to uh, yeah. overact, but yeah. I, I don't think they any of them really did. No, I think you're right. I I had Duncan just because 
he felt like a character that would be a guest star on Space 1999 more than Babylon 5, you know? Because <laughs> right, they right. tended to get those shakes. This is the thing. Babylon 5 tended to get, like, the soap opera actors that were British. But yeah. Space 1999 tended to get those Shakespearean guys that wanted to, like, declaim everything, right. you know? <laughs> and he was kind of on that fence a little bit. I'm like, you know, yeah. I could totally see him on an alien planet and... and, and uh, Commander Koenig and, and Dr. Russell and Alan all go down and meet him, and he's like, "Welcome to my planet," you know. That's <laughs> it's, it's no it's it's no accident that Brian Blessed was one of those aliens on Space 1999. You know what I'm saying? He was just you know. I he, had no idea Brian Blessed was one of those aliens. That's awesome. Oh, he's on two of them, two different characters. Yeah, they couldn't get enough of him. Is he really? Commander what? Koenig, ha <laughs> ha! Welcome to Psychon. Right. Oh, he's great. God, let's Space Nineteen. We he's may have to awesome. do. We may have to do Space Nineteen Ninety Nine when this is all over. You just we'll just wait and see what we do. I would love to do that because I haven't seen that since like nineteen seventy six. Andy of Earth. <laughs> I just love it. I watched. Watch it as a kid in the episode where the the thing that was eaten oh, yeah. and spit them out as as metal pills that turned me off of space. I was like, uh, enough of this. I'll play with the toys, but I ain't watching another. That episode was scary. That freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, no, that was the scariest thing I've ever seen on television. No doubt about. It. I was scared than anything on the Night Stalker. Scarier than anything I've ever seen on television. That was horrifying. They did yep. way too good of a job with that. That was terrible. Yeah. Um, but the others are great. In a bad way, great. Um, let's see. The most Babylon 5 scene. For me, it was the uh, the aliens explaining how they were the um, preserving, the, the preservation of knowledge. That was their, their mission. That is not the first, nor will it be the last time that that theme is addressed on Babylon 5. So And Crusade. That was very interesting. And, and Crusade, yep. So I thought that was very Babylon, very Babylon 5-ish. We are... Cheating off each other's notes again, because I agree. I said that the Vendrizzi and how they work are just very, very JMS. Yes. And you t- you touched on that a little bit earlier, that in anybody else's hands, they're evil parasites that want to take over the galaxy. But in JMS's hands, they're misunderstood. And But honestly, though, in a way, they're kind of like the Deep Space Nine um, Dax, right? I've never watched yeah. a lot of that, but isn't there a isn't there a kind of a parasite thing on there that that are benefit? They, they're not good? parasites. They are what? What's the other word? What is it when they when they help each other? Symbiotes. Out? So, yeah, they're symbiotes. They're not okay. parasites. They're symbiotes. Got a little bit of that on Stargate so, uh, too. I, I, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's so, yeah. I I, I I think it was a a, a trope that was uh you that that he uh, inverted the expectations and, and made it interesting. Yeah, I agree. So, um, what's your favorite character moment? My favorite character moment was uh, Corwin's reaction when Ivanova asked him to her quarters. The look on his face was <laughs> absolutely priceless. He was like, oh my god, I have never been more frightened and or turned on in my life. <laughs> it, 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 it was That seems like an impossible emotion to, it, to uh, emote, but he handled it with just his eyes, and it was hilarious. Yeah, it's true. I mean... Eh, Corwin, what did he really think was going to happen? Though I don't know. That's, that's funny. right, and he didn't. And he didn't even know. He he didn't know what was going on in that yeah. moment. And it was. I laughed out loud. It was. It was hilarious. Yeah. I have. I I thought that. Um, 
I think that I, to me it was it was several of Marcus's moments because he got a lot of things to do. And it's one of the first episodes he's gotten several things to do, and he gets to talk a lot, which is his strength, I think. And like yep. we were saying, we see the chemistry with Franklin for the first time, and so yeah, I think my favorite character moment is just kind of seeing Marcus come into his own for the first time. Up until this point, a viewer that's never watched the show before. Uh, could be forgiven for thinking he was not a great character and was going to go the same route as as Keffer, which which is like used less, used less, and then gotten rid of, unfortunately. Right. But uh, no, uh, Marcus is definitely there to stay, and I think that everybody sees now why he's he 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 brings something to the show that it needed. I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, he's got a screen presence like like uh, nobody else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, what was your funniest moment? Funniest moment goes back to uh, uh, Corwin's plotline when he was buying the flowers. I thought yes. that, was, that was pretty funny. You and me both, yeah. <laughs> and and it and I had it when he's when he's when he's got the flowers in her quarters, and Ivanova keeps changing her reaction, and he can't keep <laughs> up. Right? He doesn't know whether to say, "Oh, it was me," or "Oh, I found them. It was somebody yeah. else." And it seems yeah. like every choice he makes, she then goes the opposite direction. And he's like, right. dang it, you know, come on. <laughs> so, um, and then I love how she basically kicks him out after about two minutes and a half a sip of his drink, yeah. you know, just like, <laughs> right. okay, you're done. Get out of here. And he's like, but yeah. what? And he still tries to drink the rest of his coffee on his way out the door because it's he so does. good. <laughs> well, because he's not going to get it very often. That's right. Right. So. All right. So that's good. We agreed on about a lot of those things. Who won this episode? I had a hard time with this one. I, you know what I did too, because I mean, it it really wasn't a, an episode where anybody won, but I, I want to say it was Marcus because his his friend ended up living. Um, he found out what was going on. You know, he he kind of helped the the aliens get their you know get their 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 mission accomplished and all that stuff. So yeah, I thought it was Marcus who won that one. Yeah, I can agree with that. I, I did note Marcus. I also said maybe Ivanova because she kind of got her own episode to a certain degree. And and I think Corwin won a little bit. If not the plot, he at least got a bigger feature, you know. And so they're all right. three. I think those are the three main main winners, but I agree that Marcus is the main one. So, yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. How did you rate this one? Two stars. Two. All right. I mean, it was, it was, it, it was all right. And Marcus and and uh, um, Franklin was really the only selling point. I mean, it, it that 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 saved this episode. I mean, otherwise it it was just kind of very blah. Yeah, I, I'll go with that. I think two is right. I think that we pretty much agree on this one straight down the line. That's about fair. All right, so we got a bigger one to get here in just a minute. So we're going to do messages from Earth. Not only the episode that leads into that's the beginning of the of the resolution with Earth trilogy. But also, it's the name that goes on to the album, the CD, Babylon 5, Volume 2, Messages from Earth. And a lot of that music on that CD was in this episode. But first, got to thank the patrons. And Colonel Dad, by the way, did say, Listen here, mister, you better include Ari Benzane in your pitiful attempt at some humorous award. He earned that distinction, mister. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Very well done, Colonel Dad. That was a that was prime Ari Benzane. All you got to do yeah. is just do like the messed up eye and and yell a lot and uh, 
Oh, I love it. I, I, you know, I do love that episode. We talked about that before, that Eyes is just one of those that is flimsy of a little tiny episode as it is. It's one that I find I, I do go back to from season one more than most of them, just because I enjoy his crazy performance so much. I, um, I wonder if that actor took the title of the, the uh, episode a little bit too much to heart. <laughs> that's, that's in a couple of ways, yeah. All right, let me thank the fine folks who support our show and keep this nonsense going. And we really, really, really thank you guys and gals so very much. And we hope that we can bring in more because we need the support. We have to thank Allison Rich, EJ Alexander, Leah G, Rich Hammett is arms wide, Colonel Dad, Emmanuel Seaman, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, Comrade Sheridan, Heather and Yancey Steingrabber, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head, and Michael Halbrook. And by the way, um, Comrade Sheridan joins us, I think, from Twitter, where he has an interesting Babylon 5-related Twitter account. So um, I'm, if I can find that, I'll post the link, the address in the show notes. But I think you can just search Comrade Sheridan. It's, it's an interesting kind of mashup Babylon 5 account. All right, let's just don't waste any time. Let's get on into episode 308, Messages from Earth, and man, things get going here. Here is your summary. As the Senate continues to investigate President Clark, and thank goodness that's finally moving on a little bit, <laughs> Right. an archaeologist brings news of a development back home that forces Sheridan to act against the Earth government. The Night Watch tightens its grip on the civilian population. So this episode is basically evil archaeology and fascism 101. <laughs> and ah, I have things to say, but first, production number 308, originally aired February 19th, 1996, written by JMS and directed by Michael Vijar or Vehar. So I guess it's Vehar. So he is one of our Mount Rushmore of Babylon 5 directors. Good old Mike. Um, oh, notable guest star. I just have Nancy Stafford as Dr. Kirkish. There may have been a couple of others, minor, whatever. I didn't note them. She's the main one I noted. And, I, you know, before I get into specifics here and, and comments and stuff and see what you have, I just want to say um, this episode, JMS kept calling it, like, maybe the best one we've done so far. It's another one of these, like, voices of authority that the sum of the parts, to me, is not as big as the pieces. In other words, you look at the different pieces of this episode, and you're like, oh, this is a big one. Sheridan and Delenn with a white star, the Night Watch, um, the, the stuff about Clark, martial law at the end. It's a big one. But when I watch the whole episode in one shot, I'm kind of like, eh, okay, you know, that's good. But it may right. be that I know what's coming up next, and it's hard to get excited about this when we know, you know. Right. It, it was a very uh, action-oriented plot, so there wasn't a lot of... I mean, there were some quiet moments, um, yeah. some character moments. But uh, for the most part, it was uh, it was very fast-paced. So, yeah, I, I agree. It, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of meaty plot to it. It's, well, it's another watch Sheridan figure out how in a white star to get rid of a shadow ship, and we've done that before. Right, right. I mean, we, we've done that exact, slightly different way, but we've done that exact story not that long ago. Right. So, 
Um, I mean, I got to feel like the, the, the mechanics that work on the White Star, they're like, oh, I see Sheridan must have figured out how to blow up a, a shadow ship again. Let's get to work, boys. Oh, man. Well, all right. What kind of random factoids and notes do you have for this one? I have a few things. I have just a couple. Uh, the doctor's evidence from uh, mm. season two, the the, pre- the vice president's uh, doctor's evidence was brought up again. Finally, yes. Uh, yeah, just and it was only a- added to the evidence Ivanova dug up a couple episodes ago. So um, it, it's not like it was a huge plot point or anything like that, but it was a nice, nice for them to touch on that. Um, especially again, they retroactively heard us talking about it. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> um, the other thing that I have, and this was, it, it was just kind of a fun thing, but very interesting because again, something you and I have talked about Marcus's chart at the end of the episode had, uh, and this was a direct quote, Ivanova was the heart of everything. And that is something that you and I have mentioned on more than one occasion. It is. So I, I, I think it was, uh, it, it, it spoke to, to one of the, the themes of Babylon 5 is that Ivanova is the heart of everything. And Marcus figured that out very quickly, but he was right. Yeah. He, he didn't have to do a rewatch several years later right. like we did to figure <laughs> that out. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I love his chart. All right, I got... Yeah, some, mom and dad on there. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's see. A couple of notes. Um, sev- seven years ago, an archaeological team working for IPX... Uh, and we, they mentioned that in Infection, discovered a disabled shadow ship 300 feet under the Martian surface for at least 1,000 years. Um, Garibaldi was witness to another ship coming, and, and he recovered a Psycor badge from the site. This is in comic book issue 8, Silent Enemies. I thought about asking you if you wanted to go ahead and like do an episode where we talk about the comics and talk about that issue, but I thought, well, I guess we'll just save the comics for the end of the series and we can go yeah. back and look at them later. But be, be, Before you go on, I have a question for you. Yes. So the, the shadow ship on Mars was discovered seven years prior to this episode? Apparently. So Garibaldi, who has been on the station for three years now, that only happened four years before the pilot episode of Babylon 5? Because I thought it was like ten years before then, or something like that. I, I that was what I got from uh, from the huh. Lurkers Guide, so I'm not sure. Interesting. But he yeah, I I, I I thought his history with with Cher, or with Sinclair, who mm-hmm. was he never mentioned him by name, but he was the other guy that was part of that That's shuttle right. crash. That's right. I thought his history with Sinclair went back like a decade or something. Went back further than just a, a handful of years, but. That's interesting. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, he might have known continue. him before that, though, right? I don't know. No, that that was when they first met each other. I think that's okay. what he, he right. indicated on there. Okay, so. well, then I don't know. So. That's very interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so more recently, a second shadow ship was discovered on the under the ice on Jupiter's moon of Ganymede, and we saw that. Um, I like how when Marcus opens his staff, they, they always manage to do it off camera so they don't have to do the special effects. He'll right. hold up the little the little squeezed one, and then he'll take it off screen, and you hear zit zit, and then he's got the yeah. staff. That's they're you know they're doing what they can the, with the special effects, right? But in, in this one, or in the last episode, it, it was very much on screen. I mean, it bopped the guy mm-hmm. right in the face. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. You mentioned the hunter prey doctor thing finally coming back. That was good. I have a note. Jakar has now been in jail for two weeks, writing his letter from a Babylon Five jail, much like mm-hmm. the because he, he is the MLK of Babylon Five. Right. Um, we know that the. I, I, thought, I thought it was very interesting that they actually showed him writing in Narn script 
from right to left. I thought that was a neat little touch. Like Hebrew and Japanese. Yeah. Right to left. That's right. My granddad was a minister. He went to the seminary. He had to study Hebrew, and he said it ruined his eyes, reading right to left. <laughs> so I hope it doesn't mess up poor Mr. Garibaldi's eyesight trying to read an arm. Right. I'm very impressed that Garibaldi's been reading the book of Jaquan. Yeah, I am too. I, he's probably got Cliff Notes or, or Google Translate <laughs> or something. Yeah, you can't translate it. That would be blasphemy, but I'm sure there could be some kind of notes or something. Yeah. Right. Um, although... Although what we know about Babylon 5 is if you tried to download the data of the translation, <laughs> it would take about 17 hours because right. they apparently have a very slow dial-up connection from Epsilon 3. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get the data, and it's like... Dang, dang, dang. <laughs> yeah, so. That is probably the sound of... That's why Kosh sounds like he does. <laughs> He's got to connect back to his ship to get the dialogue before... Oh, see, that oh, explains everything. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> you are correct, Andy. <laughs> All right, there we go. There was your kosh for this week, unless you make me do it again. Um, I think it's interesting that Jakar and Garibaldi have gotten a lot closer. We talked yep. about that before. Um, we talk, we'll talk about the comics more. Um, we'll get that later. Um. Ah, so JMS said, messages for my money is the best we've ever done, though I'll be more able to lock that down once I've seen the final CGI. It and, Sh- it and Severed Dreams are real CGI blowouts. In the latter, there are literally 100 shots in four pages of action, an all-time record. So we'll get to that. Um, and he says he thinks this one came out better than he'd hoped. He was just really excited about it. I'm not as excited about him, but that's fine. Um, where did it go? I lost my place. Ah, okay. So what was your high point of Messages from Earth? Uh, the high point for me was the whole showdown between the, the Shadow Ship and the White Star. I thought that was really, really well done. It was pretty spectacular. Even up to and including the part with the, the Agamemnon when when uh, it chased um, the White Star back into the atmosphere of Jupiter. I, I thought the, the CGI was well done. Um, there are a couple scenes when the, uh, you were looking up from the White Star through the clouds of Jupiter at the Aggie. I thought that was really cool. It was just a oh, really, yeah. really very well um, shot and also written. I, I thought the 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 action sequences were well staged and and even though it's been done before, I thought it was cool how Sheridan did take care of a take care of the Shadow Ship um, and also how he uh, opened up the jump point within the the atmosphere. I wonder what happened to the how that appeared from the Aggies' perspective. I mean, seeing the atmosphere of Jupiter suddenly explode right below you, I thought that that, that might have left a, a mark or two on the ship. It, yeah, I I one thing I liked about that I did like seeing Agamemnon. It showed that the Earth, these new generation of Earth destroyers, the Omega destroyers, are pretty formidable. Now, yeah. Bearing in mind that the reason it was going the way it was is that Sheridan would not fire on them. Right. So if, if that had been a different circumstance and the White Star had opened fire, that might not have been a very long battle. Right. But just playing defense, the Earth ship, the, the, the Omega Destroyer, was in fine shape. It was not losing by any means. You know what I mean? It, right. was, it was holding right. its own. I, I'm, I've, I've always said that those Earth destroyers, they've just got really big, powerful guns. Yeah. 
they're they're I don't guess they're well they're certainly not as powerful as a shadow weapon and they're probably not as powerful as a Minbari weapon, but I think they're right up there with anybody else in the show's weapons. The Earth, those big lasers, those big red lasers that they fire, those things could punch I, a hole yeah. through anything. I I I think the uh, um, the Earth Force could hold their own against any power except for the Minbari in the Vorlons and yeah. of course the shadows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're kind of at the top end of the second tier. If you well, shadows and Vorlons are the top tier, the godlike. Then the Minbari are kind of like top division, and then I think Earth is kind of at the top of the rest. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, With with the Centauri, not too about about even. Honestly, the Centauri probably have slightly better technology, but I think that Earth's got like more ships and more variety and stuff. So, I like our guns better too. They have those pulse cannons, and Earth's got these just giant. Power, high-powered lasers that blast holes right. and things. So, um, let's see. Oh, there is one funny thing though. I, I left. I, I neglected to say this. In the middle of the White Star's first jump to hyperspace, there's a single frame where it shows a cityscape around the White Star, just for one frame. Hmm. And JMS didn't notice it, and people started asking about it. And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." And he went back and watched it, and he lost his mind because the effects were done at the same time that they were doing the effects for Hypernauts, a children's sci-fi show, and they accidentally got a frame of Hypernauts into the middle of the jump to hyperspace. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. He was so mad. He's like, I have to go and chew some people's butts off you know, in the middle of his conversation. All right. So, All right. That's crazy. Um, my high point of this episode, honestly, was the music because the music of this episode is all over the CD, Balan 5, Volume 2, Message from Earth. Yeah. It's and awesome. It's so good. I mean, yeah. Christopher Frankie is just on all cylinders firing episode yeah. uh, season three it's, and four. It is absolutely spectacular, the, the music on this episode. Yeah, it really was. Uh, what was your low point? Low point, and this was actually a, a, a critical low point. Mm. Um, the White Star Bridge still sucks. It's it's like a set. It I is. mean, it's like they're they're on a set. You know, you can hear the echoes at, at some points of you know it, it's just so big and and just empty. And then even worse when they went into battle station mode, those two seats in front scooted together, and it was like all bumpy <sighs> and it's, you could almost see the guys pushing them together. The uh, the, the motorcycle sidecars that look that right, don't have a motorcycle, right. yeah. The the where the the female Mimbari had to hang on and had to adjust her headset after they bumped into each other. It was just it was really cheesy. Yeah, they. I think we've agreed that probably sets are the main disappointment yeah. on the show. Unfortunately, right. so that is one thing. If they do reboot the show, there's certainly you know good and bad that we can debate about it. But I really do hope they can do better sets and and stuff yeah. this time around. And and the whole the the, the gigantic antechamber, you know before they walk into the bridge. I mean, it's just like this big cathedral. It's like, that is that that room is entirely too huge to fit on a ship, much less right behind the bridge like that. It's entirely too big, and it makes no sense that they would waste space like that. Right. Yeah. Um, my low point is that suddenly we've got new Nightwatch guy out of nowhere. Yeah. We haven't had a chance... To really, I mean, he, he does everything he can to make us hate him as quickly as possible. <laughs> right, right. But I wish he'd been on the show all season. 
Yeah, I agree. It would be and, much yeah. more effective if we'd had time to get to hate him. I agree. He just I pops that up. Same thing we're watching. He it's, pops it's up like, on this episode. Well, it's the same thing with Zach, right? Zach popped up last season, and everybody's like, "Hey, Zach, you know, how's it going, Zach? Yeah, Zach, want to <laughs> yeah. do this?" And you're like, "Wait." I mean, honestly, until this time of watching it, I always thought I must be missing a scene where they introduce him. No, yeah. Zach just pops up, and everybody's like, "Oh, hey, Zach, open the door for us. Thanks, you know." And I'm like, "Wait, where did he come from?" And now it's the same thing with this guy. I'm like, "Where has he been?" Yeah. I kept thinking, have I seen him on here before? I kept trying to place him because he looked familiar, but that's because you know I've seen Babylon right. so many times before. But yeah. I, I'm, I was trying to go back and think of where we might have maybe just standing in the background, but I couldn't place no. him at all. On no, this show. is it. And I should have looked him up just because I didn't give the. I only gave the credits for the one for that lady, the archaeologist, mm-hmm. and I didn't get his name. I don't have it handy, but. Um, I just felt like that was a misstep was to just introduce him right now when they really needed to have introduced him several episodes earlier. Agreed. Um, And I'll see if I can find his name while you tell me what your Oren Zento overacting award was. I I didn't really have one for this episode. I I thought, again, everybody did did well enough that uh, nobody really overacted. I mean, the, the security guard, maybe a little bit, but yeah. I mean, even even that it, it wasn't it wasn't terrible. So, no, I really don't have any anybody for that award. That was who I had is just because he um, he does kind of. Um, in fact, let me see. I've got the guest stars coming up right here. And I uh, I think his issue was more the lines than the delivery because the lines were pretty fascist. I mean, it was pretty pretty overt. Yeah, I think that's Vaughn Armstrong. Okay. Because it's just he's credited as security guard number one. <laughs> that's got to be yeah. Vaughn Armstrong. So, yeah, I feel like I've seen him in other things, too. He, he, he seems like a guy that would, be, it would pop up on some crime shows as like a detective or a police right. sergeant or something like that, yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I, I, I noticed I said maybe he doesn't really overact, but he's such a force that he kind of seems like he's overacting. You know what I mean? Right, right. He's just a big presence, and I think that's what they wanted. So what was your most Babylon 5 scene this time around? My most Babylon 5 scene this time was the shadows. I actually had two, and one of them wasn't even a scene. It was just a line. But the first one, the main one, was the shadows on Mars. Just that, that whole reveal of the, the shadow ship yeah. in the, the, uh, the archaeological dig was just just crazy. And then the second shadow ship coming in and, and releasing that ship was was yeah. equally impressive. So yeah, I thought that was very much, and that of course you know comes into play later. So I thought that was a very Babylon Five thing, it, and they, it was very well done. That it was very um, scary. You could see the the yeah. the fear in that woman, especially when it screamed for the first time, and she said, that, "You know, the fear just overwhelmed me." And yeah, it was neat how how that played out. They are space Nazgul. Yes, yes, that is the perfect the perfect description for them. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> it makes me think of when they were filming Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson wanted the Nazgul to have a scream and the special effects guys were going like, rah, rah, <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. And so he brought his wife in and she goes, ah, and they're like, there we go. <laughs> That's what we need. So, yeah, just That's this funny. blood-curdling scream, you know. Um yeah, I had the shadow skip. Sh- the shadow ship escapes from Ganymede, 
and then the battle above and within Jupiter. That whole bit is just a pure Babylon 5 rush. But the other yeah. thing, the other thing that, that happens is at the end, President Clark has signed a decree today declaring martial law. That right. I mean that was yeah, that was the second one that I had to. That was just it was just one line, but it was it, huge. It's so huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got Mira to actually watch some of this and she was pretty interested so I continue to believe that while she wouldn't sit down and watch all of Babylon 5 if the show does get a reboot as a contemporary 2023 show we might yep. be able to get her to watch and that would be a lot of fun I hope that would so be cool. yeah. I do too um, I keep having that argument on the Facebook Babylon 5 page and I keep telling myself just don't step away Step, Step away there's from just, those there's, discussions. There's so many great people on there, and there's so many people yeah. that I just want to punch in the face, Andy. Right. <laughs> just want to punch in the face. I can't. I can't stand. Uh, it. Don't read the comments. You know, I always said reading the comments on any web page is like rubbing broken glass in your eyes. Yeah, that's it's the first law, the first rule of, of maintaining your sanity on the internet. Don't read, don't the, read comments. the comments. You're right. All right. What's your favorite character moment for this one? Uh, my favorite character moment was uh, Delenn and Sheridan when uh, Sheridan went to try to sleep, um, <laughs> and Delenn was in there, and they had their their just the whole scene was really cool because I mean just the way they were talking and looking at each other and the way she reached out her hand they they are so obviously in love at this point without them realizing it themselves. Bingo, yeah, I, I I agree with you the whole thing, but I had when when they act when they kind of accidentally on purpose are holding hands. Right. That, I mean, that's more powerful yep. than any romantic scene you could do at that point. Yep. Just have them, and just have she, them awkwardly holding hands, and it's just like, oh, And man. when she said, I will watch over you, and I won't let you fall. I mean, that was, that was more than just, I won't let you roll out of bed. That was... I'll catch you, when you, I'll catch right. you if you fall, which is... That was, yeah, that was much bigger. I thought that was a really neat scene. Very well written, extremely well acted with both of them. Um, it was, it was like you said, it was a very touching scene. And somebody pointed out on Lurker's Guide that that's what the soul hunter said to Delenn when he was draining out her soul, which is creepy because it's like she must have just thought of that as a nice thing to say and not right. realize where she got it from. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Pretty creepy. I didn't, I didn't catch that at all. That's, that's I know. Crazy. It's freaky. Oh, it gives me yeah. the it gives me the willies. Um, yeah, I said Delenn and Sheridan holding hands while he's trying to rest. I, I did like. I got to admit, I do. I don't want to be too jaded because I have seen this episode several times and the ones that come after it, and it's they don't have the same power for me anymore because I've seen it several times. But the the part about having the water on the roof that you know, that yeah. his dad met the hose to make it rain. That's that's pretty yeah. darn cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, and that was really neat when she called up the the sound of the rain on the roof too. That yeah, yeah, that cool. was cool. And, and my um, wife and I go to bed every night with we we have that playing on a on our noisemaker is is the rainfall on a tin roof. So that's pretty cool. That, yeah, I it, have it was, it was kind of neat. I have I have really boring econo uh, French economics books. <laughs> It works much better than rain, Andy. I'm telling you right now, you ever have trouble sleeping, just put in your phone in one ear and put in uh, Capital by, what's his name, that French author? And I'm telling oh, you, he'll get three sentences out and you're gone. <laughs> the gross domestic product for France in the 1970s was, and you're just like... 
<laughs> oh, it's great. It's the best sleep aid ever invented, man. Um, I'm not kidding. That's, That's what I do. Funny. If I That's put something funny. interesting on I on Audible, I, I stay awake because I'm listening to it. But I right, put one of them. I right. put the most. I have a collection of really good Audible books and really really boring ones, and I, and I split them. <laughs> I split them for that. Uh, let's see. I also had a favorite character moment, which is when Sheridan, Delin, and Lanier are debating what to do while the Agamemnon is tracking them. Yeah. And and Delin says something, and and Lanier says. With all due respect for your innovative choice of strategies, <laughs> I love how he tries to make it a compliment, even right. when he's saying, "What you talking about, woman? <laughs> Are you crazy?" <sighs> That's so good. All right, funniest moment. This should be good. Funniest moment. I had the the breakfast scene. I thought that was hilarious when uh, when Ivanova got the um, oh got the, the eggs uh, and the bacon, egg, and bacon and stuff. And eggs yeah, and, yeah. She was trying to play it off like, oh, it's, it doesn't mean that. And then they were just kind of staring at it. You could just see him salivating. And I thought that was a funny scene. That was. All right. Marcus has 15 wild badgers living in his trousers. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Would you prefer ferrets? Would you prefer ferrets? Yes. <laughs> and so I had that. And I've done that kind of thing before to my wife or my daughter when it's clear they're not paying me any attention, which imagine that yeah. ever happening. And then I like that Marcus has an organizational chart based on the Ottoman Empire as a model. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how it was based on the Ottoman Empire or what exactly that means, but it sounded funny, so that's fine. Right. You know. it, it, and the fact that he had his parents in there, not because they had any sort of you know authority in in the the hierarchy, but because it was a nice picture. It's a nice picture, exactly, absolutely. Uh, all right. Who won this episode? Ooh, ooh. I, you know what? I have Marcus because Marcus a- a- ended up kind of breaking through. I mean, he made Ivanova laugh. And <laughs> he did. He, he did. Yeah. He, he, that that was kind of a breakthrough moment for for him with, with, with in their relationship. So I gave it to Marcus. I I could have given it to Sheridan for pulling off the big maneuver mm-hmm. there and and winning the ad. I could have given it to a couple others, but I I, I went with a smaller. Uh, kind of neat Marcus moment. I thought that that he won the episode. Well, I actually cheated here a bit. I said this is an odd one as far as winners and losers go. I think everyone except the Shadow Ship won something. Mm-hmm. Even Nightwatch kind of won something. Clark kind of won something, at least for the moment. But everyone also got deeper into the mire, so they all kind of lost at the same time. So there were winners and right. losers, and they were both at the same time. And right. even our, our one and only white star... Our one and only white star got banged up pretty good again, so the hole was buckling and everything. Uh, I kept thinking when that was happening, what if they just blew up now? I mean, <laughs> what would that do to the story if like Lanier's, Lanier was right, you know? Oh, the hole buckles and they all die in the middle of Jupiter. I think Ivanova would have taken over and it would have been a spectacular show anyway. Ah, dang, yeah. I like it. I like it. <sighs> Here we go again. What is your rating for this episode? You know what? I, I you're going to disagree with me, but I gave it a three point five. Um, I really, <laughs> I enjoyed this episode. It had a lot of great moments in it, uh, especially that that scene with with uh, Delenn and, and Sheridan. I thought the action was spectacular. I mean, it was a space battle. You know, a couple space battles. We saw the shadow ships going at it. Um, so I, I I just really had a, a ball watching this one. So I gave it a three point five. I wish that we had been tracking our ratings all the way through the entire series because I'd like to be able to compare and see who, which of us has a higher average. 
right? I bet it's really close. So that, that would be interesting. It would be interesting. I'm not I'm sure I'm going to go back and listen to 50 hours of, of our brilliance, but it would be interesting. I, I, I have my rankings all the way back to a distant star. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I, 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 I erase it every, I erase everything, every episode and start over. So I have a blank template. So I delete the episode and put the blank template in for the next week. So I don't have anything anymore. I, I do mine analog, so I have page after page after page of notes. Oh, wow. Well, you need to publish that when you're all done. I thought, <laughs> I actually thought about saving all my notes and when the series is over, doing a book, but I finally decided it was just too much trouble to do both at the same time, so I just stuck with the and podcast. I have a, a, enough trouble remembering what my notes mean just days after writing them. There is no way I could go back and write a book. Yeah. You know, can I just say right quick before I give my rating, I've been thinking about this and I want to see what you think about it. It may be a stupid thing, but it may be a brilliant thing. When we started this series, we did the gathering and the first two episodes in one episode, which was way too ambitious. And we didn't have our format down yet. Right. And I did a really crappy job on at least one of them. I can say that with no problem. So I've thought about at some point we should go back and redo The Gathering, Midnight on the Firing Line, and Soul Hunter as two separate episodes, one for The Gathering and one for Midnight on the Firing Line and Soul Hunter, and just delete those original ones completely or or leave them for the patrons or something and put the new one up for because... I don't want people to come in and start listening to our show and think that every episode is like that because I think our show's gotten a lot better. I, now, I, you know what I mean? I do, but I think going back now, now that we have watched the all of season one and season two, I think that would color our yeah. reactions to those first couple episodes because part of the fun of those first episodes was watching them again for the first time in, for me, oh, years. Yeah, and if we were to go back and do that now, we would have everything would still be fresh in our memory. We 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 have a better understanding of the the meaning of season one. We have a better understanding of of Ivanova. I mean, I I think it would I, I think it would take away from the experience. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, I just want to run it up the flagpole and see what you thought, but I think you have a good point. And I think our charm carries those two episodes. <laughs> I so. hope so. <laughs> That's a lot of material we squeezed into into just a one or two episodes there. So yeah, it, it was. I, and my wife reminds me of that every every opportunity. <sighs> <laughs> well, if our listeners will leave us a comment um, and let us know what they think about those first few, because if you think the first few were bad, I, I would just like to know whether we redo them or not ever someday. I just kind of uh, yeah. want people want to know what people think about them. If we've gotten I, better I, or worse, I, and whatever. If our listeners want to hear our our new new take on those episodes, I would I would love to to sit down and watch them again and, and have another conversation with you. I th- I think that the conversation would be different and, and yeah. not quite as as fresh as it was, but I think it, we would have more insight. I, I I would be very interested in that actually. Now that I think about it, now that we have seen and we do have all those insights that we have developed over mm-hmm. you know this rewatch, I think it would be really kind of interesting to go back and watch that again. Yeah, let's see what the let's see what our listeners and what the patrons think. Um, patrons, yeah. you know where to leave your comments on the Patreon page. Listeners, if, if you're on Twitter, um, at Van Allen Plexico, at Andy Fix Writer, and we have at White Rocket Book as well. So follow us on there, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. All right, 
I gave this one, believe it or not, I said, not enough happens of real consequence on camera. I'm not a huge fan of the space battle in this episode as Sheridan's already figured out a way to beat a shadow ship one-on-one. This felt kind of like a rerun, even though he does it a slightly different way. But the rest of this is fairly solid. I gave it a 3.5. No lie. 3.5. Even when even when we don't agree, we agree, man. That's it's hilarious. amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna um I'm gonna share the screen with you as I do sometimes and let you see if you can see that. It's not quite well, a four. Three point five. <laughs> I love it. There you go. Uh, All right. On our next episode, we will cover. Th- 309 point of no return and that's all that's all man 309 point of no return one episode we get in we do it about an hour probably we get out nobody gets hurt and then two weeks after that it is severed dreams all day long one gigantic severed dreams episode you know, we've been talking all this time about saving those higher rating numbers for certain episodes. I I don't know about you. I never know. But I know about me. Uh-huh. We, we may see a big number coming up. Right. I, we may I, see a couple. Yes. Right. I mean, I have I know which episode is my absolute favoriteest episode, and, and we haven't gotten there quite yet. But, yeah, these two are huge. Yes. Yes. Well... Tune in, as they say. Tune in. Now, before I hit the spoiler warning, I want to tell you one thing. Uh, Andy and I are going to be at the Windy City Pulp Con in Lombard, uh, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, in like two weeks, right? Two weeks. Two weeks from tomorrow. I will not be there Friday. I have to go to my daughter's play Friday night, but I'm going to be driving up there as late as as far as I can Friday night. If I get there, I get there. If it takes me the next day, it will the next morning. But I but Andy and I will be there definitely Saturday and and Sunday. So if you like the show and you're in the Chicago area, come out to Windy City Pulp Con. I'll have a table with a bunch of my books and stuff for sale, and 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 Andy'll be around, and we can hang out. We're doing a panel on Sunday. Should be a good good fun time. And that is when I'm bringing the Babylon 5 card game. Yes. Oh, yeah. We can do an, an impromptu Babylon 5 viewership tournament. I would love that. If Yeah, if, if any of the listeners come, that would be great. It, and Windy City is a really cool little con. It's, mm-hmm. it's cheap to get into. There's a mm-hmm. lot going on. Some great vendors in there. And the panels are the highlight of, of the weekend for me. And I'm excited because I'm going to be you know, the, the, the moderator for this panel. It's a stacked panel. Hmm. Um, just all, all four of you guys are, are, are just wonderful writers, so I'm really oh, looking forward to that. I'm looking forward so, to yeah, it. So it, yeah, it's going to be a good weekend for sure. If you if you if folks want to know, just Google Windy City Pulp 2022. It's at the Weston Lombard Plaza, the Weston Hotel in Lombard. It's the it's the big white and silver hotel in the middle of a giant mall parking lot, basically. But it's a yeah. really nice hotel. We've been go- we've been doing that con there for like 20 years now. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of great people there. A lot of our fellow writers and all pulp writers and all. And we're going to do the Babylon Five card game. I guess maybe Saturday night would be the time we would do it. And I've already put together three or four decks so that I can introduce Andy to the game and give him a choice of what kind of deck he wants to play. Kind of doing some basic ones, right? Because we don't want to get too complicated for first time. But I'm, I've got a couple of Centauri, a couple of Human, and a Narn. 
Uh, I'll try to get a Mimbari one before I leave, so we'll have some choices to choose from. But that game is more fun with three or four people. It's it's okay with two, but it works really well with three or four when you kind of go against each other in a circle. You know what I mean? It's like who who's right. going to team up with who and backstab who. So it's yeah. almost like that diplomacy game. All right, um, let's quickly hit the button. Jumpgate activated. All right, and here we are in spoiler space. I don't have a whole lot, honestly, um, other than just um, there was something that we were going to talk about from earlier, and that's going to slip my mind. So did you have any spoiler space stuff for this one? The only thing that I really thought of was comparing and contrasting Ivanova and Marcus's, how, how that relationship is being developed by the writers mm. versus how Sheridan and Delenn's relationship has been developed by the writers. I think the the Sheridan and Delenn relationship has been much more organic and natural and yeah. subtle. And compared to compared to that, the Marcus and Ivanova one seems a little bit ham fisted and uh, and forced. And honestly, like I said, we're supposed to feel that they have this great chemistry, and I never felt it. Right, I, I agree. I, Ivanova is an odd duck. She's wonderful, 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 but she never feels, I mean, see, here's the thing for me. This is, I don't mean to sound, I don't mean to sound bad at all. I love her. I adore her. I love Clay Christian's great. She's, she's a tough action star enough that I don't see her with a wimpy guy, Mm -hmm. but she's feminine enough at times, funny and cute and, and feminine enough that I don't see her being, you know, I, 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 I have I have a hard time picturing her with the right guy because it would take just the right guy and Marcus to me for all of his positive qualities just never seemed like a good fit for her. Does that make any sense at all? I don't. That know. makes perfect sense. I don't know if there there. I I I agree with you. I, I'm not sure if there is uh, the right guy for her. I don't know. Maybe it was Talia. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and they, I mean that. See, that's and they kind of worked because that let her be. She was kind of more the dominant, tough person in that relationship compared to Talia, but yet she could still be feminine. They, I thought that was an interesting relationship of their. They had chemistry. I thought they really did have chemistry in their few times they there did. together, they leading did, up to yeah. it. So, yeah, I hate it too because because she and Marcus have the potential to be really cool, and they they do have the opportunity to have some cool scenes coming up but um and, yes. and a couple have already had but yeah it just never completely worked for me unfortunately and so. that being said the, the the final scene when the final sacrifice that that marcus makes when ivanova finds out what happens after the fact mm-hmm. I, I thought that was and that could just be because of the actress i thought that was a re- really powerful scene it, it mm-hmm. the, there really was some pathos there yeah, she realizes at the end what she's done and how she's delayed things and delayed things and she delayed them right. too far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I I like the ending of their relationship in a way as bittersweet as it is better than I do the actual relationship. So. Right. Agreed. Um. Yeah. I guess uh, the only other thing I was going to say that's kind of a spoiler is I was talking about how I wish that we'd gotten to know the Night Watch guy sooner. And if he was going to be around longer, that wouldn't be quite as bad. But he comes in and does these two episodes, basically, and then he's gone. And we never see him again, right? So right. that's the only thing that's disappointing to me is that we just get him for a couple. We never we never have a reason to care about him coming in, and then we don't even get him long enough to care while he's there. So that's, that's too bad. And I, I'm curious. I was thinking about that. 
is that is his role the role that Zach was being groomed for? Was the 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 role that JMS was brought Zach in for, and then realized that he was too likable of a character to have him go down that route? So they brought in a different guy. Uh, you I don't know, know that's that's interesting because they do have. I like their chemistry. I like that when I like Zach and security guard number one. I can't believe he doesn't have a name, <laughs> um, but they you know. They're interesting. They're you know because yeah. Zach's trying to get along with him and trying not to seem like a traitor in his eyes or whatever. But he also yeah. has legitimate concerns that he doesn't think the guy's addressing. And so, yeah. I just again, I just wish we had known him a little bit better. So, right. All right. Well, it, that's all I've got. Wh- Go ahead. When we're on the subject of Zach, I, I am. He is a deeper and, and more fascinating character than I remember him being. I, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. every scene because he's. They're giving him a lot of meat. I mean, it's it's yes. really really cool to, to see how how much more developed that character is than I remembered it him being. Oh, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, he, yeah, we tend to think he's just the other security guard besides Garibaldi, but right, you know, he he gets to do stuff more and more. He really became an important part of the cast, which yeah. you kind of forget. I mean, I, I I'm the same way. You know, the the only reason I even remembered he stayed kind of relevant is that he's plays a kind of a funny role on third space the movie coming up later right so um because he liked talia right and uh, that didn't work out so (laughs) (laughs) uh who we haven't seen in a while either so we've got more characters coming up that we haven't seen in a while and uh that'll be good all right i think i'm done that that does it for me as well all right gang tune in in just two weeks and we're going to hit point of no return which is basically the big showdown with a night watch oh baby all right thanks a bunch handy we will see you down the road all right take care this has been a white rocket entertainment production